Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. As I mentioned earlier, I was a college basketball coach. I've been one for 10 years. I played a little ball basketball at Virginia Tech. I used to have a little game back in the day. I got bad knees now, uh, so I don't try to attempt to do that. But one thing that we did when I coached, uh, we did two things. We recruited players, and we also scouted the opposing team. When we recruited players, we wanted to bring in young men to where we can build a team of unity. You know how hard that is when you're recruiting not only nationally, but internationally, and you're bringing young men in from different backgrounds. That can be a very tough assignment because we're trying to get these young men to get on the same page, but they're bringing a lot of things with them. It was hard work. Human beings are very complex. Can y'all say that? You're, you're, come on, me and you, we're complex, right? And trying to bring them in unity was something that was very tough. It didn't matter what school that I coached at. I coached from the East Coast, going back West, coached down South, all of those different things. It was the same, same concerns. And then two, as a coach, it was about scouting our opponents. Because at the end of the day, they brought me to those programs because they wanted to win, and I like to win as well. So when scouting those opponents, There were three things we looked at whenever we got in the film room and we got with our players, three things that caught my attention when I scouted an opponent. Number one, the tendencies of that team. What were they inclined to fall back on? I wanted to know that because I wanted to have a competitive advantage. Number two, the weaknesses of that team because we wanted to exploit those weaknesses. And then number three, the strengths of that team because we didn't want the team to play to their strengths. And I believe we have an opponent here in the house of God and his name is Satan. And what I want you to know is this, Satan has been just scouting Christians for a very long time, for centuries. Satan has been recruiting this world for a very long time because he needs more people on his team. Okay? Satan's number one strategy is this. He understands that he's got the people in the world. They're on his side. His number one strategy is to attack the church. And his strategy is to divide the the church. He wants to bring division among the brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to keep internal strife in the church to limit us from making external strides in the world. I I want y'all to hear that. He's come to divide us by denominations, doctrine, race, nationality, social class, politics, which is all a part of our culture. Satan is looking at our tendencies. And what I've learned growing up in the church, my father was a minister. I've moved different areas in the United States. What I've learned 
is that there's a tendency in the people of God to go back to their default, which is their pre-salvation days. Satan understands that. Satan understands our weaknesses. Our weaknesses is our flesh. He wants to attack our flesh, to feed our flesh so that we can go back to our tendencies. And then Satan understands our strengths. The strength that you and I have, those of you who are in the body of Christ and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our strength is the Holy Spirit that rests on the inside of us. He's afraid of that. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I want the church to understand that Satan doesn't care if we come to church. He's afraid if we become the church. He doesn't care if we're religious. He's afraid if we grow in our relationship with Christ and with each other. He understands religious people. I've learned in my life, going through churches all over, that the church has religious people and the church has people who are filled with his spirit. They don't act the same. Religious people are more concerned with rules than relationships. They put more value on being a good person than being a godly person. There's a difference. A good person, religious folk, they measure goodness based on what they interpret goodness to be. Self-proclaimed morality. But we as Christians understand that a godly person is measured by the standard of God and we all fall short. A good person can have pride kick in because you think you're doing better than somebody else. Russ, I'm better than you. I'm walking this certain way. I'm better. You puff, you puff yourself up. But when there's a standard of God, we understand there's none of us have walked this earth like Jesus Christ. Humility sets in the church. Religious people tend to blend in with their culture. And so today I'm going to talk about two types of people in the church. We're going to, we're going to talk to church folk. Those who are religious and those who are filled with the Spirit of God. We're going to look at Acts 21, which gives us an overview of religious people. And then we're going to jump down to Ephesians 4 and we look at Paul's character, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of this message, I want you to make the determination, who do I want to be? Before we go into Acts 21, I know I'm fast forwarding. Pastor Nick was on Acts 10 last week and I'm fast forwarding to 21. But before I get there, I want to paint the picture and give you some background. The apostle Paul had been on missionary journeys, preaching the gospel, and he was called to preach to the Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody who is not of Jewish descent. They're considered unclean. So the Jews and Gentiles didn't mix together. But he's preaching to the Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit says you have to go back to Jerusalem, to the church of Jerusalem, and give them an account of what's going on. So he meets with James, he meets with the elders of the church of Jerusalem, he gives his testimony, and he lets them know that thousands of Gentiles were being saved. 
fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy, Abraham will be the father of what? Many nations. So he's given them that assessment and the leaders are excited about it. They're glorifying God. And then there's a but. Do you know that when you're doing God's work, there's always going to be a but because Satan tries to come in there. They said, Paul, but the Jews who were believers in Jerusalem, they've gotten a negative report from you. They're saying you're going against their religion. You're telling Gentiles, you're telling Jews rather, who are in Gentile nations not to circumcise their children. You're preaching against the laws, and obviously those accusations were false. You're telling the Jews not to obey their culture, not to obey their customs. So as we see this, the religious folk are putting their religion, self-proclaimed religion and culture ahead of Jesus Christ. Paul just thought Jesus is enough. So in here, the church tries to protect Paul and say, Paul, show them that you're willing to observe the law. Go through a purification process because anytime a Jew went to the Gentile nations, he had to purify himself to get in the temple. Paul says, I'm okay with that. You know why? Jewish law wasn't bad. The sacrificial law wasn't bad. It's just that Paul knew they couldn't save you. They couldn't save you. So we get with the story. Paul's going through purification, and this is where we start in Acts 21, and I want you to follow along. This is going to be, we're going to go through steps. I need the church to walk with me. Are you willing to walk with me? Let's go ahead and read Acts 21, 27 through 30. It says, when the seven days were almost completed, that's Paul being purified. It says, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, look at this, read with me, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Y'all, they laid hands on Paul. Huh? Y'all know what laid hands mean? They put some hands on Paul, right? Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. So they accuse him again falsely of bringing Gentiles into the temple. This was significant. You know why? Because Gentiles were unclean. They couldn't worship with the Jews. They had to be outside of the temple courts. In fact, there was a wall or a barricade between the outer courts and the inner courts. And there was a sign that said, Gentiles, if you enter here, you'll be responsible for your own death. They were accusing Paul religious people. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed or assumed, and you know what happens when you assume, that Paul had brought him into the temple, then all the city was, what? Stirred up. And the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. 
they tried to kill Paul, but we understand as we keep reading in Acts 21 that Roman soldiers rescued him, but he ended up being in prison. And this is where we move to in Ephesians 4. Paul is in prison, but he's writing to the Gentiles because he's wanted them to keep the faith. Come along with me. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 I, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That walking had to do with unity in the church. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, come on, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, that's his sovereignty, and through all, that's his pervasive power, and in all, the indwelling spirit. I want you to know, church, that when the church is united, there is power. There is power. And so today's message is USA. Can you repeat after me? U-S-A. U-S-A. United Saints in America. Can we pray? Father, we thank you today. Thank you for your children. Father, I pray that the word of God will resonate in our hearts. God, we pray that it won't be my words. But God, they will hear the Spirit of God speaking to them, softening hearts so that they can receive this message and not only be hearers of this word, but God, doers of this word. I pray in Jesus' name that God, we will be transformed today. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let's give our God some praise. United Saints in America. Well, I just spoke to you about two different types of people that's here in the house of God. Religious folk and also people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Religious people, if we look at Acts 21, religion stirred up division, anger, and condemnation, right? But if we look at the life of Paul, if we look at Paul's epistle or a letter to the Ephesian church, Paul did the exact opposite. Paul, he stirred up unity, peace, and love. Totally different from religious people. Paul was a prisoner for the Lord. In fact, Paul said this. He says, I don't mind going to prison for the Lord, and I don't even mind dying for the Lord because people that were walking with Paul didn't want him to go to Jerusalem because they knew that something could happen to them. But Paul understood that I have to go to Jerusalem because God has a mission for me, and it may some life Baby, some life that I can touch and they will be filled with the spirit of God. I want you to know, don't allow the world or your friends to stop you when God has a mission for you. So Paul was a prisoner for the Lord, but the Jews were prisoners of their culture. They accused Paul of being an anti-Jew. 
Paul, you're going against our religion. That was false. Paul, you're going against our customs, our laws. That was false. And Paul, you're bringing in Gentiles who are unclean folk. You're bringing them into the temple to worship with us. All of those were false accusations. But culture was in the heart of the religious people. You may be saying, Pastor Myron, what is culture? I hear all different types of definitions on culture. What does that mean and how does it apply to our life today? Well, culture is defined as this. Culture is the way of life, especially the general customs and beliefs of a particular group of people passed on from one generation to the next. Now, you may be saying, okay, nothing's wrong with culture. Hey, I'm from this culture. I got Creole culture. I got Cajun culture. I'm South Louisiana culture, all of that. But I want to ask you a question. Has anybody that's within your culture or your mom or your dad, your grandfather, your grandmother, anybody that's within your group, have they ever told you something that didn't align with Christ and you believed it? Come on, 11 o'clock, you're a quiet service. I'm an old ball coach. I like to have some people talking to me. Huh? This is not a lecture. This is a dialogue. We are, we're people, right? I'm not just here on this stage. I'm here talking to us. I've had people speaking to my life that were close to me, even my mom and dad, who are really good people, who's a pastor, who've been walking with Christ for 84 years. But they still fall short. So I've had things spoken to me that didn't align with the word of God. I've spoken to my children some things before that didn't align with the word of God that I had to repent of. Is anybody in the house with me? And so let's wrap, around, wrap our heads around the definition of culture. I think this quote can kind of get us on the same page. James Spratley said this, culture is the acquired knowledge people use to interpret experience and generate behavior. Interpret to generate. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm looking at culture and human beings are interpreting it, that makes me a little bit weary. Would you want me to come into your house and all the experiences you have, I start interpreting it Myron Guillory's way based on how I was raised. Would you want me to do that? If you do, well, you might want to check yourself. I don't want you doing that in my house. I'll give you some examples. When I was in college, I'll give you two examples about human beings can look at the same thing and come out with whole different opinions about something. When I was in college, the big case at the time, which TV kept rolling and rolling and rolling, was O.J. Simpson. This is not about a response. This is not about a side. That's not what we're interested in. But you can look at a case and see the same picture, the same evidence, and you can come out with different opinions. Am I, am I truthful? Let's start marching it till today. What about Derek Chauvin, who was the officer 
the Minneapolis officer, right? You can look at that experience. You can be from different cultures and you can interpret it the way you've been raised. I'm not over here to say whether you're right or wrong. I'm just giving you the experience of all of us in this room. That, that's every last one of us, right? That, that's not just Myron Guillory. That, that's not Brother Dwayne and Suzette, right? That's not Mr. Troy. That, n- none of that, right? Everybody in this room is going to interpret their experiences in a different way. But can I drop a nugget on you and will you chew on this church? Culture in itself isn't bad until it begins to flirt with the world. The Jewish culture began to flirt with the world, which in return influenced their religious beliefs, attitudes, and values. The same happens today, right? In fact, their religion and culture appeared to be one and the same. Are are we looking at churches across America and this world, are we starting to see some of that seep into our church where you don't know if it's culture or if it's God speaking to you? Religion said to the Jews, this is what religion said. Religion said no Gentiles allowed in the inner temple courts. Culture takes it a step further. Culture said if Gentiles enter the inner courts, kill them. Religion, culture coming in. I got to get your attention because we got to get this and we will. We will get this, Opelousas. When culture is influenced by the world and then poured into religion, religion becomes extreme, deceptive, and harmful. Would you agree with that? Now, listen, I'm not here to manipulate. I'm not here to take you in another direction. We're just here to stand on the word of God together because we're saints, right? One body, one mind, one spirit. But I want us to go a step further because we've got to stop playing church and we've got to start being the church, right? Why is this harmful? Because Culture is influenced by man's interpretation of his reality. And that's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily align with the word of God. You know what happens when man starts to interpret things and start to give it out as it's God's word? Look what happens. It promotes comparison, competition, which leads to conflict, which leads to chaos, the exact opposite of what? Unity. Are you following me? I want you to see and walk with me because God has has just been hitting me with some stuff, and I guess he's saying, Myron, you're going to change. I'm going to hit you with some word, and I'm going to just touch your heart, and you're going to be convicted on this word. If you want to know what true religion is, not the religion that we just had the example of in Acts 21, but let's look at true religion according to James 1, 26 and 27. Look at this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is what? Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, let me walk you back because I can give you a scripture and then try to paint a picture and have an agenda behind it. Or I can give you the full text of scripture. Before we walk into James 1, 26 and 27, we have to keep walking back to scripture. And what James was talking about, he was telling the people, do not only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And he also told the people, be slow to speak Quick to listen, right? And slow to anger. Now, does that describe the religious Jews in Acts 21? Come on, 11 o'clock. You got to come with me. Is there a yes? Calling for a yes? Oh, no. Does that look like Paul? I'll let you make the decision for now, and then I'll come back to it later on. Because pure religion, not the religion that we saw in Acts 21, but pure religion refuses self-deception and bridles his tongue. What What would happen if on social media we put a bridle on our tongue and our fingers? Man, I'm, I'm starting to get in y'all back door. What would happen during a presidential election if we didn't come into the house of God and started to preach a new gospel of politics and we just started to stay focused on Jesus Christ, our Savior? I want you to understand this because the Jews, they were what? They were addicted to their culture and they were trying to have other people assimilate, the Gentiles assimilate into that culture. But Paul was saying, all you need is Jesus. And when Jesus come in, we are one. When you bridle your tongue, it means that in pure religion, you're obedient to scriptures. So you have to have obedience, which is not about what my perception is of this world. My perception is of a certain experience. It's about what God says. Are you following? Also, pure religion shows mercy and love to the oppressed, which means you have to have a heart for people. Now, the religious folk wanted to kill Paul. The religious folk said, oh, those people are unclean. Get away from me. But Paul was saying, no, I'm supposed to be a witness of Christ and go out into all the world because we want people, we want to snatch them out of their situations. They're dying in their sin, and it's up to saints of God to go out there and make disciples of Christ. Are you walking with me? So not only for pure religion, you have to be obedient, you have to have a heart for people, but pure religion refuses the advances of the world. It's about us being holy. Now, I'm speaking to the church. I know that there may be some individuals in here who may still be an unbeliever. We're going to talk to you, but right now I'm talking to individuals who say that they are called by God to be disciples of Christ 
and who profess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, I'm talking to this group. My question is, are you living a holy life? Or do you blend in with your culture and we don't know whether you're a Christian or whether you're an unbeliever? And I'm not just saying you, but I'm talking about the body. I'm talking about us. I want y'all to follow me because I'm not preaching to you. I'm not preaching at you. God and the Holy Spirit, they've been ministering to me. I've got to get this message. If I'm to be a pastor and lead people, I've got to be a follower of Christ. I've got to understand that the word of God is pure. I've got to understand that the word of God trumps whatever I believe in. You got to walk with me, church. We must be careful not to build walls of division in the church made up of our individual cultures. Keep on walking. When your culture becomes your religion, God will begin to look like you instead of you looking like God. This is a touchy, touchy area. I wrestled with this message. I didn't want to preach it. I'm like, God, it's my first time, God, preaching the Opelousas campus. Can I get a little something else? I mean, can you give me something else? Can I just ease my way and just keep being friendly with the people? God becomes black. God becomes white, Hispanic, Asian, Indian. God becomes a Democrat. God becomes a Republican. He becomes pro-life, pro-choice, masked, unmasked, vaxxed, anti-vaxxed. God becomes an American. Wow. My question to the church is, if we're bringing all this into the church house, Who wants to be a part of a church with multiple personalities? Because this group is telling me, this is God. No, no, Myron, this is God. So can you imagine a new believer coming into the church, walking in and gets with different cliques in the church, and all of a sudden their mind is spun around to where they say, man, I'm getting out of here. Why would I be a part of this if God, is, if God is so everything and he's telling me to be like this and telling me to be like that? Can you see where confusion can come in the house of God? Can I be open and honest with you? I prayed about this. God, why do I have to tell the people this? God, there's certain things I like to keep in my house. I'm also guilty of being influenced by my culture. I'm guilty. I'm not the only one now. Y'all can look at me. I know I'm on the stage. But you better start looking at yourself right here. I grew up in the metroplex of Mamou, Louisiana. (laughs) 
Who's from Mamu? Is there, is there anybody in the house from Mamu? What about last service? I had two people from Mamu. My people. What, what about Evangeline Parish? Anybody from Evangeline Parish? That's what I'm talking about. Hometown. Yes. I knew, I knew God moved me to Opelousas for a reason. I grew up in Mamu. I lived there from age zero to 14, and then we moved to Lake Charles. My dad got a church in Lake Charles. In Mamu, there was a football field, and that football field divided the neighborhoods. On this side of the football field was where the white people lived. They called it the white side. On the other side of the football field was the black side. Now, guess where I lived? I lived in the black side, on the border. <laughs> In fact, it was, it, my house and then an alley, and then I can just climb the fence for the football games and be at the football field. But I'm, I'm explaining to you what shaped my thoughts. So my neighborhood division, right? And then I ended up going to high school at Mamu High for one semester. And when it got cold or rainy outside, we went to the gym. The gym floor separated the students. On one side of the gym, white students. Other side, black students. I'm like, man, what's, what's going on with my move? And I thought this would stop when I went to Lake Charles. I went to Barb High School. I thought it would stop. The same thing. So you see what's shaping me as a young man, as a little boy? And then I talked to y'all about Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, but what about Sunday? Sundays divided the fellowship. Some people go to St. Anne's. Other people went to St. Luke Baptist Church, St. Paul Baptist Church, Zion Travelers Baptist Church. Now y'all know where those Baptist churches, y'all know who was going there, all right? Got a lot of churches. So uh, I'm, you see what's shaping me? But even as a young boy, I said, man, something's not right, God. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know how to put my hands on it, but I wanted to do something. I wanted to make a change. It was a burden of mine even when I was a young kid. I still have that burden today. But, but look at this. Look at how culture shaped me. I truly wanted unity, but I wanted it on my own terms. If you didn't agree with how I thought, you were labeled the enemy. You were labeled uncompassionate. You were labeled, you don't have empathy. So if you're a young kid from my mood, can you see how culture starts to shape some things? I wanted the next man to agree with and walk in the shoes of a young black kid from Mamou, Louisiana. And you know why? Because my life belonged to my culture. My culture had been teaching me and teaching me and teaching me and teaching me, and that's what was shaping me. But, but let me give you something. Let me throw another nugget at you, and I need you to, I need you to, I need you to eat with me. Are y'all ready to eat? Y'all, uh, 
Experience is never the test of truth. The word of God is. So I interpreted my situation and my experience from what I knew and what people around me told me. It didn't necessarily line up with the word of God. And I am not the only one in this building that culture has shaped. I I want the church to be honest with yourself because we can try to run away from this issue, but this issue keeps coming back. And if we have another presidential election or if we have another something that comes up, division will start coming in the house of God and we're playing in Satan's hands. Now, Before you clap, my question to you is that do you want to be united in Christ? Paul didn't allow his culture to influence him to abandon his faith. While the Jews were still, while they still considered Gentile believers unclean, Paul considered them family. Just look around. Look look, look around. Don't look at me. You don't look around. Look around. We have some strong Christians in the house. But if we can't live like family, if we're going to live divided and we're the house of God, but then we expect the world to come together. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace to the world. I came to bring division. Mother and son would go against each other. Father and son would, would, would go against each other. But you know why? Because there's, because as a Christian, we're going to start following the precepts of Jesus Christ in his ways, and sometimes family member won't. Who are you going to choose? Who is your family? Let's look at Ephesians 1.1, and we're going to come back to it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Look, look at this. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's calling Jew, Gentiles, believers, who Jews considered unclean. He's calling them saints. So, Pastor, what's a saint? I know I, I, I see saints all the time, St. Paul, St. Luke. What, what, what really is a saint? Saints are referred to in the Bible as holy people. People who are set apart are sanctified. Saints are specifically marked out as God's people. If you are a believer in Christ, you are in the family of God, Don't you know that we are saints? Don't you know that we're saints? It's not the saints that they have to go through certain things and all these different rituals to get a person to become a saint. All God is saying is that you are a saint when you come in my family, when you are born again. We are saints. Now, the next thing, if we are saints... We belong to whom? God? God? Are are you sure? Are you sure? Saints belong to God, right? Now, I want you to question it. I want to question it because we've got to get this church. If we don't understand the word of God and understand God, then our identity would be in so many different things that division will always be in our church. So I can't even go further if we don't believe, believe that saints belong to God. I can drop the mic and go home. Do y'all want me to keep going? 
Uh, are you sure? Now this gets touchy. Why is the title United Saints in America and not United Saints of America? My mom is an English teacher. She beat us over the head with grammatical errors. If you did this and all the nouns, pronouns, subject, verb, all these different things. And what I found out is that that a preposition, that little word makes a big difference. Before I go further, that little word is going to shape our identity. Are you with me? Of, the definition of of, means belonging or possession of America. Are you following me? In its location or position in America. We're saints, right? You said saints belong to God. Now, y'all told me saints belong to God. So if y'all told me that, I can keep on going further, okay? Belonging to implies ownership and whoever owns you is master of your life. Let me explain. I don't want to go to any other country. I want to be right here. I'm thankful that God put me in America. Listen, I've traveled different parts of the world. Basketball has taken me a lot of different places. And it's good to go visit these countries but I'm glad that God positioned me here, okay? So uh, I think most Americans, we're okay with being here, <laughs> okay? So let's, let's bring that together, and then I can move on to, with my point. We're temporarily positioned in America, but we don't belong to America. Saints belong to whom? Saints belong to? Saints belong to God. We shouldn't be ruled by our race, our politics, our social classes, or our nation. Can I get an amen? Amen, amen just means you agree. But you might be saying, Pastor Myron, you just told me that there's an, you've interpreted your experiences a certain way by your coach. I'm, I can't mess with you. Okay. So, Let's go, let's go to Scripture. Let's see what the Word of God says. Is that fair? Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship, or we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, our temporary location is here in America, is here on earth, Right? But our permanent residence, if you are a child of God, is in where? Is in where? Are we following? Let's keep on going. Because we have to get this, church. John 17, verse 11, and then we'll go to 15, 16. John 17, 11 says this. And this is Jesus talking to his father. And I am no longer in the world, but they are where? In the world. Temporarily, right? Temporary location. And I am going, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be what? 
one, even as we were one. That they may be one, even as we are one. Do you see how Jesus is bringing the church together? Why are we fighting Jesus? In sports, it's called point shaving. Do y'all know what that means? That means that you're trying to, you're trying to play, play basketball and trying to get the other team to win. It's like, what, what, what are you doing? Oh, you missed this layup on purpose because you don't want us to win? I'm not point shaving in the church. Let's go on to and explain this a little bit further. Our citizenship, right, is in heaven. But let's go back to verse 15. Let's go to verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So there's protection that Jesus is praying for. They are not, what? Just as I am, Jesus is not of this world. And because we are heirs to the throne, we're not of this world. So you see how Jesus is trying to change man's perspective and lift our perspectives higher. He's trying to get us to focus on things above instead of things of this earth that would be what? Washed away. Saints, we're fighting one another for no reason. (laughs) Our citizenship is in heaven and we are children of God. We're in the world to carry out God's purpose, but we should not adopt the attitudes, values, and beliefs of the world. If we mistake the world's system and values for the kingdom's system and values, we'll waste time fighting for things that are unimportant to God. Have you fought for things that God walked away from? I fought for things that didn't matter in the kingdom of God. It was just my ego kicking in. I was going to stand firm and I was going to look you in the eye and you're not moving me. I don't care if I was wrong. I've done it. And you know what? That's foolish. It's disobedient. So I've talked about religious folk, but let's look at what can we learn from Paul about maintaining unity in the church. Number one, Christ is the source of our unity. We can't try to, no other source can come in and bring us together. Okay, listen, the Jews try to bring in their version of their religion. They try to bring in uh, their sacrifices, their rituals, right? They try to bring in their customs, their culture, and they try to unite the Gentiles with them based on that. And that's not what Jesus was teaching, It's one of the reasons why the Jews ended up killing Jesus, because his teaching was counterculture. And today, Jesus is still preaching a message is counterculture, but we're so self-absorbed with culture that we're trying to blend it together to justify why the way that we act. Come on, church. Let's look at Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one 
In Christ Jesus. In what? In Christ Jesus. Did he say in anything else? So, y'all, we can have, oh, let's have a conversation. Y'all, if we start the conversation based on my reality, you know what's going to happen? You're going to run away from me. We have nothing in common with that. But you know what we have in common? Jesus Christ. And you know who changes a man? You know who changes a woman? The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, is the power of Jesus Christ. So why are we trying to come together as a church on all these other sources? We're trying to plug into things that have no power. John 10, 16. And I have other sheep. Look at Jesus. Not just y'all Jews. I've got some other sheep. The other sheep, that was the Gentiles that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be what? And, say it again. And, come on church, that's something for us to get excited about. One flock, one community. not Jew or Greek. It's not about race. It's not slave or free. It's not about social class. None of those things will bring us together. We keep talking about things that don't matter. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 6. We've got to keep walking. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body. Come on. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Right? There, well, keep on going. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So if we understand this, if we are doers of the word, we can't go back after this message and start acting like the old man. Huh? It is impossible if you feel with the Spirit of God, you cannot go back after hearing the Word of God like this. I'm telling you, when I was studying this, God moved in my life, and I had to just pause. Myron, you can't, you can't go this way. Your mind can't think this way. I'm here to renew your mind. You give it to me, and I got you, son. Saints have a new identity and a new character. Our identity should make Christ's identity known to others. Our character should model the character of Christ. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 2. I therefore, Paul, I, Paul, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, which I said they were called to walk in unity, the Ephesian church. He was talking to believers And then he says, this is how you do it. You're going to do it in Christ's character. Not by all these different methods that we've been trying to do it. God has already, he already created the unity. The unity unity is already here. We just have to be obedient. Look at how. With all what? Humility. And with bearing with one another in humility, gentleness, patience, love. Let's look at these qualities. Let's look at these characteristics because I'm, I'm telling you, I struggle with some of them. 
And, and then he was telling the Gentile community about humility. Humility was not a virtue in the, among the Gentiles. In fact, they thought that was weakness. And I think sometimes in our culture, humility is a weakness when it's really the strength of God. Humility, a proper assessment of oneself from God's point of view. From whose point of view? Because according to Myron Guillory, my point of view, when I played college basketball, my ego was bigger than this campus. Because when I got on stage and started playing ball and we're going to Greensboro Coliseum and we're playing University of North Carolina with 24,000 people in that, in that arena, I'm like this, bring it on. Myron G, baby. But then God came in and he touched my life and he convicted me and he let me know who I was according to his ways and who he was. And I came back down I had, a, I had a true perspective of myself according to how God viewed me. And then, you know what I'm doing now at the Opelousas campus? I'm working with staff and I'm clapping for them. It's not about this stage. It's about other people. It's about uplifting others. It's about honoring our brothers and sisters, right? Gentleness. Although, although you can exert force to get your way, you choose not to. You might be, a, in terms of position, above somebody else or more affluent than someone else, and you choose not to crush them. Now, you can because where your lot is in life, but you, because of the self-control that God has put in you, you choose not to crush your brother. You choose to be gentle in that. Y'all, that, that's unity, humility, gentleness, not coming out barking at one another because you don't believe certain things that I believe in, but we're working in here together because what? We're family. Don't families get into arguments? But family come together because we come together because our common ground is Jesus Christ. What about patience? God knew he had to have patience to have unity because if you think the devil just being masked and unmasked, you think that's the, big, the best the devil can do to us in terms of dividing us? A mask, unmasked, vaxxed, anti-vaxxed, you think that's the best the enemy's going to come with? You're kidding yourself. If we can't handle this, we would definitely not handle what's coming. So patience is endurance under affliction. We're going to go through some trying times, but we're going to stand still. We're going to stick together because what? We're bonded by the spirit of Christ. And then last, there's love. The evidence of your love for God is your love for his people. Ooh. Ooh. You, I love God. I don't love them folks. It's not how it works. That's not how it works. Saints. Let's move on. I can stay on this all day. Number two, what can we learn from Paul about bringing unity in the church? Christ's character invites unity. 
you ever gone in a place and you just feel uninvited? You're like, man, I got to get out of here. These people don't like me. <laughs> but the one thing about the house of God and saints, we should be the friendliest people on the planet. I'm not saying we don't stand with our convictions. I'm not saying that we condone certain activities that are not righteous by God. I'm not saying that. But our conversation, our tone, our heart should be one that they're like, man, where is this person from? Are they from Appaloosas? Man, they must be from heaven. <laughs> Let's go back to Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, goes back to the, saints of, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul was once persecuting the church. He was persecuting Jews who believed in Jesus Christ. You all remember that? Pastor Nick preached on that. And so you know what he felt about people outside of the Jewish nation. He was, he was ready to kill his own. He, he was involved in killing Stephen. And the crazy part, in Acts 6, he, he was involved in killing Stephen, and this is what they tried to do in Acts 21 to him. This is what happens when your life changes and you give it to Jesus Christ and you start going on the mission of God, the things that you try to do to other people, you know now when you change your life, they start doing it to you. So by calling unclean Gentiles, you had, you had, if you... Around a Gentile, you had to go through a purification process just to get back in the temple to be around other Jews. They thought lowly of Gentiles. And Paul calls them saints. Religious folk didn't even want them in the temple. Now Paul is calling them family. Paul is breaking religious and social norms. Are you ready to do that? Because it's going to take a sacrifice from you. Yesterday's unclean and uncircumcised is now one family with Jewish believers. That's the gospel what Paul was preaching. And this is ironic. Listen to this. It was religious people who built walls of division in the name of God. Unlike culture, Paul calls non-Jewish believers saints, and then he goes even further and does something that could only be done in the spirit. Look at Ephesians 3.8. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul exalted the Gentiles above himself. People who he once looked down on. They were dogs. They were dirty. And now he's saying, I am the very least of all the saints because you know what? Paul had been converted and now he can look back at the sin in his life and he can say, no, I'm, I'm not better than these folk. I was crucifying Christ by crucifying his people. Through humility, gentleness, and patience and love, Paul welcomed Gentile believers to the family of God. That's strong, y'all. Number three, let's move on. Christ's truth secures unity. You know why? When we speak truth and we preach the word of God, Truth speaks against culture's false accusations, biases, and distorted interpretations. We all got some of that, right? 
We talked about culture, culture influences. Culture has influenced every last one of us, right? Culture has even brought some sin into our lives and our hearts. It made us hard against one another. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, and let's look at some truths that Paul has brought. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near by the what? There's power in the blood. Okay, I know we're talking about, oh, there's power in the blood. The blood is going to do this and that for me. There's power in the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ brings us together. For he himself is our what? Peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Remember that wall I was talking about that had the sign, hey, Jew, Gentiles, if you cross over this, you're going to enter at your own risk. You're going to die. You'll be responsible for your own death. You better not come here. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself, listen this, one new man in place of the two. So making peace. In the first century, they called themselves the Christians. You know what they did? They called themselves the third race. They weren't Jews or Gentiles. They were the family of God. Do you think that's possible in 2021? All things are possible through Jesus Christ. And might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross. Thereby what? Killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. No respect to person. For through him we both have access, listen to this, in one spirit to the Father. Culture wants to divide us. Culture says those people are not like us. But truth says, for the body of Christ, we are one body. Culture says, let's keep our distance from those people. Truth says, the blood of Christ draws us near to him and each other. Culture says, Democrats are godless. Republicans are heartless. Truth says, we all fall short of the glory of God. Culture says, let them rot in their sins. Truth says, be my witnesses to the ends of the world. Culture says the church will always be divided. Truth says saints are already united in Christ. Ephesians 4.3, Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Maintain implies that unity has already been established. We don't have to create anything. The blood of Jesus Christ has already established unity in the church. We just have to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to put on the armor of God. We've got to be clothed in righteousness. I'm going to give you one more truth and then we'll end. Ephesians 4, 17 and 19. Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. What he's telling Gentiles is not to live, go back and live according to their unbelieving culture. You're new in Christ now. You're not the Gentiles who are unclean and unbelieving. You're the Gentiles who now believe in Jesus Christ. Don't go back 
Paul is saying, don't go back to culture. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't go back to the futility of your thinking, to the darkness of your hearts, losing all sensitivity. Don't go back. My last question to us, church, what areas of your life do you no longer need to live as? What do you need to drop? All heads bowed, eyes closed. There's someone today, the good news is touching your heart. There's some things in your life you're ready to give up and you don't know how to give it up. What I'm telling you is to lay it at the cross. Jesus loves you. There's some sin in your life. It's tough for you to get away from. I tell you, who can remove that sin and who can forgive you is only the blood of Jesus Christ. We want you to be a part of a spiritual family. For those of you who are unbelieving, we hope that the word of God convinced you that God is real. And then when you know that there's a God, we want you not just to know that there's a God, but you want to know more about that God. You want to have understanding and knowledge of God. And right now, we want you to be a part of this family. We're not putting up walls and just saying that, hey, we're talking about just your sins and putting up walls to kick you out of here. We want you to be a part of that family. But first, you have to repent of your sins. You have to want to turn around and not continue to live in the manner that you're living in. Repentance strictly means that it's a turn of direction. It's a turn of the mind, a turn of the heart. And today it might be somebody here today, you want to be a part of God's family. Nobody's watching with me if you want to be born again. John 3 says, no one will see the kingdom of God and no one will enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. We want your citizenship to be in heaven. And we want you to have influence on this earth. If that's you right now, if you could just raise your hand. Nobody's watching but me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and join our faith with everybody who raised their hands. We want to pray with them. Obviously, the prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. His blood forgives our sins. Let's repeat this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for all of those who raised their hands to be born again.